You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara in St. Catharines, Ontario. For more information, please feel free to contact us by visiting our website, harvestniagara.ca. So you remain standing in awe of God as I kneel and come before the Lord as we open up the scriptures together. Father, you are more awesome than we know. God, I pray today a simple prayer as we begin this service. Just simply help us, help us, Lord, see Jesus today. Help us come face to face with the reality of the awesome nature of who you are, oh Jesus. Lord, I pray today you'd forgive us our sins. For those that bring unconfessed sin into this place today, God, I pray that you'd convict. And that right now there'd be a confession that we stand in the presence of a holy God. Who are we? To come traipsing in here with all of our sin. But at the same time, you are not just holy, you are loving, oh God. And for those that confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us. And Lord, it's when we come into you with forgiven sin and cleansed hearts that that's when we truly see Jesus. So God, break down the sin, take off the blinders from our eyes today. Open our hearts and show us Jesus. Cause, oh Lord, every heart here to be alive with a love for Jesus today. Speak to us now, God, through your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I invite you to take a seat this morning. And we're just going to get after it. Turn through your Bibles to Ruth chapter 2. We're just going to settle in and pick up Ruth's story we left off last week. If you don't have a Bible, please slip your hand up. We'd love to get a copy of God's Word in your hands to follow along. And so while you look up Ruth chapter 2, it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges... Ruth. There you go. So as you find that, I'm just going to give you a quick recap, sort of like part two of an 80s sitcom would always start with last week on the A-team. This week, it's last week from the book of Ruth. So here's, where we're, here's where we, how we got to where we are today. For those of you who weren't here or who've forgotten over the last week, here's how we got to where we are today. The last week, we looked at Ruth chapter one, and the book starts with Elimelech and Naomi two of God's children living large in the promised land, but the problem was that God's people had forsaken God, so God was no longer in the promised land. And because God loves us and will do anything to get our attention back on him, he disciplined his people by bringing a famine on the land. And there was starvation and trying to get his people, his kids' attention back to himself. And Elimelech and Naomi were like, this isn't good, I'm taking matters in my own hands. Rather than waiting for God and waiting for God to come and rescue them, they took off for the God-cursed land of Moab. Big mistake, right? Taking matters in their own hands and chasing after what we think is right. And so they get there only to find that they jumped from the frying pan to the fire and they aren't there long before Elimelech dies. Two sons marry a couple of Moabite women, which was forbidden, and so then shortly after, two sons also follow suit and find, their father, find themselves with their father six feet under. In the meantime, God returns to the land, lifts the famine. Naomi hears of this, and she says, I'm going back, tells her two daughter-in-laws, stay here, there's nothing good beyond, stay here. Orpah, 
You're right, there is nothing good, I'm out, she's out. Ruth, on the other hand, is one that through the mess of it all, get this, through the mess of it all, God supernaturally allows Ruth to grab onto the faith of her mother-in-law, and she says, no, I am now one of you, I'm forsaking my land, I will go, your God is my God, and your people will be my people. And so we see this covenant of commitment that Ruth makes, not just to her mother-in-law, but to her God, as she is a new person, as she follows God. And so the story ends at the end of chapter one with Ruth and Naomi, Naomi back making God's home their home, uh, but they are also back and the circumstances are pretty solemn and if you remember there wasn't a ton of good in chapter one, we see the vein of God's good that he showed us from this perspective and their perspective, there was nothing good going on in their lives, they were bitter, they were empty, and then we get to chapter two. Let me read for you chapter two, and don't forget in the midst of chapter one, God's kindness was showing up in all kinds of ways, and it just continues that theme of God's kindness and God's redemption in chapter two. Let me read it for you. I'm gonna read the whole chapter, so get there and bear with me. This is the word of the Lord that I don't want you to miss one word of what God has for us today. Ruth chapter two, now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz, circled out in your Bibles. That is a key name in this whole book. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go my daughter. And so she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. See how important it is? It says it twice in the first three verses. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She asked, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she's been... She's continued from early morning till now, except for a short rest, so she's been working hard. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me? since I am a foreigner. But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. Basically, her faith caught the attention of Boaz. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the Lord God of Israel, who, who under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. The mealtime Boaz said to her, come, and, come, come here, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied. And she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her and also pull out some of the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned and she also brought and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. 
And her mother-in-law said to her, you have to understand, you don't see the exclamation mark here, but this is a whole change for Naomi. Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness is not forsaken, the living or the dead. Naomi also said this to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. This is so important in this whole book. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good my daughter, that you go out with, this, with his young women, lest in another field you may be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. What a day, hey? What a day. Really, this whole chapter is simply one day in the life of Naomi and Ruth, and picture what we've just been walking through in chapter one. So, so Monday morning, here's the scene. Monday morning, they wake up and there is absolutely nothing good in the spiritual forecast. They look at the spiritual forecast and it's dark and it's gloomy and there's storms coming and there's no point in planning anything because you, we can't even go outside the house. It's dark for the foreseeable future, not, nothing good in sight. And yet, at the end of one day, just one day in their lives, all of a sudden they turn on the spiritual weather network on Monday night, and all of a sudden, guess what? The whole thing has been flipped upside down, and there's all of a sudden chances of sun and some good days, and maybe even today there's hope for a future. What happened in one day that changed everything for these two women? One thing happened, and it is this. God stepped in to reveal a glimpse of himself, reminding his people that there is always a glimpse of hope with their God. Do you get that? That's what, what this day is about. That's what this chapter is about. It's about a God who loves his people, who supernaturally interrupts the lives of his people with glimpses of grace and hope to keep his people going just another day. And I believe that's what God wants to do in our lives this morning. That's what God wants to do in your life as you come in here. And I know I don't deceive myself into thinking we all come in here from great backgrounds and great weeks and great months and great years. And many of us come in here with just like, man, I just need something to keep me going today. May this be the day that you are kept going by the good news of Jesus Christ. If you think back to your life, we've all been in those times, right, where we've seen God supernaturally show up and just change the whole course of a day and a life. Our lives are testimony to God continually doing this over and over and over again in our lives. So for some of us, it's, it's been that season where you just were looking and searching for a job and you had just finally given up hope and all of a sudden the phone rang and you're like, wow, God still hears my prayers. Remember that season? For some of us, you waited for a spouse and you prayed and you called out to God, God, give me a spouse. And out of the blue, seemingly on your doorstep, that perfect person appeared and when you had given up all hope, some of you here thought university wasn't even going to be an option for you and you'd set out all your, your applications and nothing was coming, nothing was coming. All of a sudden you went to your mailbox one day and there it was, an answer. God actually had heard your prayers. Some of you here, their finances have been in the red and you've been through these seasons where finances were just there, weren't there and God provided that check or made a way through hard work and sweat. He made a way to be back in the black again just to remind you that God is still in control. 
Maybe for some of you, your marriage is dying and out of the ashes one day, out of nowhere, some small shoots of life and love happened again, showing that God has never left you or forsaken you, that God is weaving your life into a perfect plan for his glory. Let's be honest, some of us here, some of us here have also never received the news that you think will make your life better, that will change everything, but you've been in those times where there's one day where you open up the word of God and God gives you this this straightforward word, this unusual peace, this flood of God's presence to remind you that even if life doesn't turn out the way you think, the utopia that you planned for yourself, that there is still hope for tomorrow because you have a God in heaven who is watching over you. The difference of a day. What's the difference of a day? It's the day where we... Stop and glimpse the kindness of God and his redemption. In Ruth chapter two, and I pray in our lives today, it is so obvious and so real that we cannot deny the Lord that we have been given by the grace of God. As we get into this text, I just want to start with this thought before we get into the bulk of the text is, because I know we often struggle with this, well, what do we do? What do we do when we're waiting for God? What do we do when, when life seems all lost and, and we don't know what to do? What do we do in this whole process? Uh, here's what we learn from Ruth's life, something we can apply to our lives in the hard times, is this, waiting on God is an active endeavor. Waiting on God is an active endeavor. Compare and contrast Compare and contrast Naomi from chapter one and Ruth from chapter two. Remember Naomi, she had nothing good to say in chapter one. She's still a child of God, still in faith, but yet she responded to her circumstance in such a negative way. She looked at her hands, the Carter hands have been dealt, and she was like this, like, what a terrible hand. I'm in your place. I quit, basically what she did. And she got out the black balloons and put on the, the, the sad music. She started to have a little pity party for herself. Life is bitter, life is bitter. Ruth, on the other hand, Ruth, on the other hand, she's a completely different cat. Look what Ruth does. She gets her hand, and it's not that great either, right? She gets her hand, but you know what she does? She looks at her hand, and she starts to strategize on how she can make the best out of the worst that she's been dealt. Look what Ruth does, starting at verse two. This is how I believe God wants us to learn, to respond to him and learn from the life of Ruth in this text. Look what Ruth the Moabite does. Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. Ruth's simply saying like, hey, hey, we're in a tough spot, but let's not sit around and see what's gonna happen. Like, I'm gonna do what I know I can do and trust and have faith that God is gonna meet me in that. And she's not saying she knows someone who's gonna give her favor at this point. She's like, I'm just gonna trust that God's gonna give me favor with somebody because he's a good God who provides. And so here's how Ruth responds to Christ as she eagerly and expectantly moves forward in faith, believing that God will show her favor. And look what happens as she moves forward in faith in the hardest season of her life. Look what happens. She so happens, see that in the text here? She happens to, so she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. Look what, look what Naomi's response to her was. This is how down Naomi is. She doesn't be like, good for you, Ruth. I'll pray for you. God will do it. Here she says, go, my daughter. Go. Get on with it. And yet Ruth's face, she sets out and she went and gleaned in the field after the reapers and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. I don't want you to miss this because you can jump over this and be like, oh, that was quite the coincidence how lucky she was, right? 
When the Bible says she happened upon something, you know what that really means? It's just a play on words. What it really means is that God divinely in his providence maneuvered her life to happen to the right place at the right time for God's purposes. So as the story goes, you know it's not a coincidence because you read the whole chapter. As the story goes, Ruth happens upon the field of Boaz who happens to know her story, who happens to show favor with her, who happens to give her a job for a day, who happens to invite her to dinner, who happens to leave her with far more than she ever came. Is that a happen? No, that's God leading her. And it's God blessing Ruth's active Faith. This is important, brothers and sisters, because I believe this is a lesson that we need to learn today that, that I know as a pastor that I need to learn, so I'm not speaking to you, I'm speaking with you. I think more times than not, we respond like Naomi instead of like Ruth in our lives. Our tendency is to be like Naomi and we have this perfect plan of what God's supposed to do and how he's supposed to do it and when he's supposed to do it and as soon as it goes off, as soon as we find ourselves in a hard circumstance, what we do is we have the key that propels our faith but we put it in our pocket, we fold up our hands and we throw up our fists, we get little pity parties going on and we fail to move forward in faith in the way that God calls us to and we stop. We we look at Naomi, we're like, yeah, that's like me. We stop, we stop reading God's word and we stop praying and we stop going to church and we stop going to small group and we stop serving and oh yeah, I still have faith, like I still believe in God, but we, we stop, we stop everything. And when we stop, we miss out on seeing the answers that God has us and allowing God to move and direct our lives where Naomi's the, op- Ruth's the opposite of Naomi. She's, she's got the key of faith out and she's sticking it in the, in the car and she's turning the key and she's revving the engine saying, okay, life is hard, but, but I believe that this bad hand that God's given me, he can take a bad hand and make it a winning hand. And so she moves forward by faith. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying that I do this well, obviously. But what I'm saying is this is what God calls us to learn from Ruth's life. In the hard times, what God wants from us is to not quit, but to keep going by faith and doing all the things we know we're supposed to do in God. Waiting for his answer with an active response in faith. Really all Ruth is doing in this passage is she's living out 2 Corinthians 5, 7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Hard times shows what we're really made of. Do we really have faith? We walk by faith, not by sight. She's living out Proverbs 3, 5, 5, and 6, which we can probably all quote. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And what will he do? He will make your path straight. Proverbs 16, 7 says, a man, the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. To have your path made straight and your steps established, get this, you need to be walking by faith. And as you do, look what God does in Ruth's life, what he'll do in your life. He will supernaturally come down and give you those little nudges, those little guidances that you need to find yourself at the place you need to be in the time that God wants you to be there. Point from the first little few verses is this. In your mess, the best way to see God blessed is to stay on his path by faith. I know it's hard. 
I know that everything within you, just like it does me in the hard times, wants to give up, but God calls us today, if you're in that place today, to not give up, to stay in the word of God, even when it seems like there is nothing alive in it at the time, to keep praying, even when it feels like your prayers are hitting the ceiling, to keep coming to church, to be influenced and affected and impacted by the body believers as we worship and as we hear the word of God to to keep serving, to keep doing all the things you know that God wants you to do. If it's a job for you to keep searching for the job and not give up. If it's it's a marriage that you're struggling to not quit trying to reconcile your marriage, to keep going. If it's a sin that you're battling, you've given up on to keep fighting your sin, doing everything in your power, trusting that God will make the best out of the worst. Just in those few verses I quoted for you and read for you and also verse 17 showing how diligently Ruth worked. This is showing us what godliness is in the midst of crisis. Courageously trusting God by doing what we know we ought to do. Think of how life would change for you if you just applied these principles we went home right now. As you follow the Lord in faith, Here's what God's doing in Ruth's life. Here's what God's doing in our lives that he promises through his word. God is simply doing this. As you move forward in faith, ultimately God's gonna bring you to a place where he is arranging an encounter with your savior. For those of you who feel like giving up today, don't give up. What God's doing is he's arranging an encounter with your savior through your difficult circumstances. If you've already given up, like don't give up now. Keep going by faith. God's arranging an encounter with your, sa- with, with your savior. Look at, look at this text. Verse one shows us really what this passage is all about. And it's really not about Ruth and Naomi at this point. That was chapter one. This passage is about a man named Boaz. Look at two, verse one. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Boaz is really the the, the key character of this whole book and this story. So even before we get to Ruth and Naomi in chapter uh, chapter 2, verse 2, what do they do? They start us out by showing us Boaz. You ever watched a movie and the first scene comes up and you're kind of following the scene, all of a sudden this one main character, the guy or the gal comes into the scene and the camera just focuses on them in a way that you're like, that's the key character. Even though we haven't seen it yet, that's the person we gotta focus on. That's what God's doing here in this passage with Boaz. He wants us to see the person of Boaz and you're gonna understand why in a second. Partly because this is the key to Ruth and Naomi's life. It's their kinsman redeemer. I'm not gonna pretend I didn't read the whole thing for you. No, this is their kinsman redeemer. This is Boaz. Ruth doesn't even know it yet. She has no idea yet, but she is walking face to face with the one person who can ultimately save her completely in the land, and it's Boaz. I love how we can see it. She can't see it. I love how We often can't see it in our lives, but God's sitting up in heaven smiling as he's orchestrating our lives to the same place. All he wants more than anything else for us is to see our savior face to face. Listen to the character of Boaz and you'll understand the parallels to your life as we go. He is a worthy man. It says that in verse one, I just read that. Possibly a brother of Elimelech, clearly a close relative who is powerful and influential. The name Boaz simply means this, in him is strength. He's the opposite of Ruth and Naomi. It's like the maid of Manhattan meeting the the prestigious politician. He's the opposite of even the two sons of Naomi, Malon, which is sickly, and Chilion, which is pining. This is the stark contrast. He is a man who has some sort of 
worth in the world's eyes, but even more important, worth in God's eyes. He's a godly man. Look at verse four. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. He's a godly man. Evidenced by the fact when he comes to work in the morning, all his people, he wants them to know that, remember the land, it wasn't cool to say the Lord be with you. Basically what he's saying is every day that he gets to work is, hey, I'm with God, he's with me. And the culture might be going this way, but I'm standing firmly here with God. And all his people recognize that, they say, God bless you. He's a godly man who is going to follow the Lord no matter what. He's also this, he's a good man. And Boaz said to his, the young man in charge, who is this woman and where does she come from, basically? And the guy tells her, well, she's the young Moabite woman. She's a foreigner with Naomi and simply out of the goodness of his heart and being obedient to God's commands, he's like, what? Here's an opportunity for me to show the kindness of God on somebody else. It's not just being good he's doing in these few verses. He's actually being obedient to what God called him to do. Deuteronomy 24, 19, Leviticus 19, tell God's people that part of their duty in loving God is to love the needy and the foreigners by allowing them the opportunity to pick up the extras after they pick up all of their crop. So part of loving God is providing for the needs of others. And so Boaz was a man that was willing to commit to God's ways even if it meant less for him and more for the poor. So out of his goodness, out of obedience to God, he invites Ruth to glean from his fields. If there was a nomination for a good guy award in heaven, God would even nominate Boaz. We see it through the whole chapter. He's just a solid, godly man. Look at verse 9b. He's also a protector. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? It's not that she was just the new kid on the block. They were like, oh, new kid on the block. Remember, this is a time when everyone was doing right in their own eyes. What is the... What is the unsanctified man without the Lord do in his natural flesh. We've seen it all over the world in the news, right? So you get in the picture, right? So this is a dangerous place for her to be because every man was out for their own benefit. Boaz sees this and says right away, hey, let's protect, because he's a generous, kind man, let's protect this woman from the crude general laborers who have no moral restraint. He's a protector, he's also kind. Verses 10 to 14. See, already she's like, this is not the regular guy that I would meet on the street. She fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you would notice me, a foreigner? He's a kind man. You know what favor means? It's like an uber kindness. This kindness beyond the norm. And, and we see here that, that Boaz is, is, is opening his life in a special way, and he brought this foreigner to, a, to his dinner table and said, why don't you eat with me? And that wasn't common. That wasn't even expected. Cultural faux pas. Yet Ruth is like, what a comfort to know that there's someone who actually cares and is kind. And then in verses 15 and 16, we see that Boaz, beyond all these things, even generous, he filled her up to the gills with what she needed and beyond. She was full and then beyond. All that God expected of him was just pick up the scraps, just pick up the scraps and you can have that. And yet it says here that she gleaned or she gathered till evening a whole ephah of barley. You know what an ephah is? It's three-fifths of a bushel. Think of those big baskets of apples. She had three-fifths of a bushel of barley. She had enough barley, 30 pounds of barley, half a month's wage as she left that day. She wasn't just full. 
Like she was full. And what did she do to deserve this? Sure, she loved her mother-in-law. Sure, she identified with God's family and sought to take refuge in God, as verse 12 says. But ultimately, what did she do to deserve this? She did nothing to deserve anything that Boaz did for her. She was a poor peasant girl who probably should have been pushed aside on the streets and said, don't come near my field. You're ruining my reputation. Instead, Boaz saw her heart of faith as she was trusting the Lord and brought her near to him. As a reflection of God's sovereign care, he brought her under his care. Boaz is really the knight in shining armor. All you girls who want your knight in shining armor, Boaz is a perfect knight in shining armor. But it's even more than that. He's a beautiful interruption in the life of Ruth and ultimately Naomi that is God ordained. This is God's doing. What do we learn from Boaz? We learn, yes, I know you're all gonna say this, well, we learn that we need to be like Boaz. Yes, we do. God calls us to show the loving kindness of God and bestow it upon others. Yes, we do. And how many commentaries I read that left it right there, though, and said, you know, you're supposed to now be godly like Boaz. You're supposed to be godly like Boaz. Yet, I don't want you to miss this, because if you miss this, you miss the real whole point of Ruth and the real whole point of the story. There is a bigger thing going on here than one man's kindness. Get this. Boaz is showing us, even greater than how to live life, he's showing us what a Savior looks like in our lives. See that? Boaz is not just godly, he is the ultimate redeemer. He is a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the ultimate Boaz in our lives. And as we read this, we see that just like God weaved Ruth and Naomi's life to come face to face with their Savior, so God is weaving our lives to come face to face with not some dude with a weird name, Boaz, but face to face with our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. He is the point of the story. He's the point of every story in the Old Testament. I know you're thinking, how do you know that, Pastor? Ask me, how do you know that, Pastor? John 5, 39, Jesus says this, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But it is they that bear witness about me. Not me, Jesus is saying this. This story is about Jesus Christ. He is your ultimate savior. He's the only one that you have, can have hope in. It's not your best friend that's gonna save you. It's not your spouse that's been hanging out with you for all these years, bailing you out. It's not your rich parents or your rich uncle. It is Jesus Christ that is the only one who can ultimately redeem us in the way that our souls so long for. In this chapter, you have to get this. Everything that Boaz was to Ruth... Jesus is to you. Did you get that? You're not writing it down. You've got to write it down. Everything that Boaz is to Ruth, Jesus is to you. Consider the parallels of the list I just gave you. Hopefully you wrote down all those names. This is Jesus. You think Boaz was worthy. Jesus is the most worthy of highest nobility. He is the king of all kings. He is God most worthy, God most high. In him is not just strength as Boaz is. In him is supreme strength. Boaz was godly, but Jesus is God. 
Jesus is God incarnate, God with flesh on is Jesus Christ, 100% completely in every single way, divine God himself. Jesus is a personification of God. You think Boaz was good. Matthew tells us that who is really good? Is any of us really good? None of us are good. Who's the only one that's good? God. Sunday school answer. Who's the only one that's good? It's Jesus. He's the only one in this whole universe that is without any hint of bad attitude or hidden agenda or evil motive. He lived the perfect life that you and I couldn't live to die the sacrificial death that we deserve to die. It's Jesus, 100% obedience that secured his place on the cross in our place and our position united with God forever into eternity. It's ultimately the goodness of Jesus that invited Gentile foreigners like you and I with nothing to our name and nothing to offer into share in his eternal riches. This is the goodness of Jesus. Jesus is our protector. Think about this in your life. Even before you came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, he was actively protecting you and watching over you and and working your life in a way that you would come face to face with himself, that you might know a redemption. Even before you knew he existed, he knew you existed. He's been watching over and protecting you from all the evil that the enemy has wanted to do to you, preserving you for his good name. And if you're saved today, if you know Jesus Christ, your Savior, he promises he will watch over you. Your coming and your going will continue to do so until you meet him. This is Jesus. He's kind. You think Boaz shows favor? Man, the favor that Jesus has shown to us, a special place in the heart of God are his children, and that he shows his favor through Jesus Christ. Out of the pure love of Christ, did he invite us to sit down and dine with him at his banqueting table? Well, what a comfort to know that love and that acceptance that we need not fear what comes our way. You can't find this anywhere else. You think you have good friends. Jesus is the kindest friend you will ever have and not only that, is he is also a generous God. All God really needed to give us was Jesus Christ and that's all we need for everything in life and yet he's given us so much more. Matthew chapter six tells us this. If God takes care of the flowers of the field and the birds of the air, how much more will he take care of you whom are created in his image? And how much more will he show you the love of a father. So you don't think this is anything that is not. Don't get this. Jesus doesn't promise us excess, excess, but he promises us to give us our daily bread. And then out of his generosity, he often chooses to give us above and beyond what we need or can even imagine. This is Jesus Christ. This is a passage about Jesus Christ. Don't miss it. Don't miss this. And what did you do to deserve this from Jesus? What did you do? We did nothing to deserve it. We're not good enough. Well, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good, Pastor. I'm better than most, so I deserve this. We did nothing to deserve this. What Boaz is to Ruth, Jesus is to us. You know what this means for us today? You know what this means for us today? Is that we have a God who is with us in our darkest, most trying moments simply striving to lead us to a place where we will look up and acknowledge his presence and his goodness in our lives. Why is God allowing this? What is God doing? You know what God is doing? He's trying to get you to a place where you're face-to-face with Jesus as Ruth was face-to-face with Boaz. 
that you would see him fully and know his character and know the fact that you have a God who loves you. Ultimately, in every circumstance of your life, it's God behind it, navigating you to a place where you are desperate for and longing for and excited about a face-to-face encounter with his son. You miss his son and you miss life. Not just here, but forevermore. That's how good and kind God is to us. That even when we don't give a rip about God, and we don't want to give a rip about God, he still navigates our lives in a way, maybe he puts the pressure on a little bit, maybe he puts a squeeze on, but he navigates in our lives in a way that we will have no choice but to look face to face at the only one who can truly save us. That's how much God loves us, to give us a chance to respond to Jesus in our lives. And just like Ruth and Naomi were like, man, if we have Boaz, we have it all. If we have Jesus, we have even more than that. Look at how this passage ends, verse 17 to 23. Let this be an encouragement to you and a hope to you today. That Jesus Christ has you here this morning simply to see the character and the goodness of the God that loves you and desires to save you and spend eternity with you. A God who will never give up on you. A God who will work in the good and the bad to get you to a place where you acknowledge his presence in your life. For anything like me, this ought to point you to a greater hope. That's the point of 17 to 23, God's kindness. This is all God's kindness to us. Why does God do this? Because he's a kind God, a good God, a loving God. Well, it doesn't feel like that sometimes, Pastor. I get it. But doesn't it get the fact that God's kindness points us to a greater hope? So look what happens here. So Naomi waiting at home, sour-faced Naomi, probably expecting that what happened today, nothing like I thought. And yet look what happens. So she gleaned in the field until evening. She worked hard all day. Don't miss the fact that Ruth is a hard worker. She wasn't waiting for God. Okay, God, just give it to me, give it to me. She was a hard worker. Her faith led her to work hard. Then she beat out what she had gleaned. It was both the, the ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She's waiting for her and she gives it to her. She asked her the question, so where were you today? And Ruth's like, I don't know, some guy with a goofy name. Boaz? Like, who names her kid Boaz? All of a sudden, Naomi's demeanor completely changes. It just completely changes. This is the first positive we've seen out of her lips in two chapters. All of a sudden, she's like, what? Who? Do you realize what's going on here? This is, as she says in verse 19, she's like, blessed be the guy that took notice of you. This is the biggest blessing of all blessing. This might mean that God is actually with us when I thought he wasn't with us after all. This, Ruth, is God's answer to our dilemma far more than just feeding her bellies. This is big, sweetheart. This is big. Because she realizes that, oh my goodness, this is actually the one person in this whole land who could be our kinsman redeemer, who could bring us in. And this is the one who, we might not be destitute forever. 
We may not be living in this poverty forever. Remember the Old Testament, the kinsman redeemer was a big deal. It was the, the, the person when it was under God's law, God obligated his people when a, a husband would die, his, the, the man's brothers were obligated if they loved God to bring in his widow and care for her, not just physically, but care for her and help her bring, keep the family line going and bring her in as one of his own. This is God's grace to, to widows. It's actually a New Testament concept too before you think that, oh, glad we don't have to do that anymore. No, we don't have to bring in our brother's wives, thank the Lord. But he does say in 1 Timothy 5.8 that it's part of our obligation to care for our family members and look after them and not be selfish with our stuff and look after them. So this is what's going through Naomi's mind. Remember, she, she may be a little bitter right now. She's a little empty. She's a little hurt, but she hasn't forgotten the teaching of her faith. She's still a woman of faith who learned all the things about God. She's, what? This is like the TSN turning point, honey. Boaz... Might not just be the one who gives us the scraps. He might be the one to bring us into his family and give us a place and a home and a belonging and a hope and an inheritance and all the things that you and I really want. This day to Ruth and Naomi was what a cortisone shot is to the muscle was to their souls. It was a boost of adrenaline and strength that they needed to keep going. Hope was springing up. It's not ironic. This is verse 42 out of 85 in the book of Ruth. There's only 85 verses. This is verse 42 that we see out of the first time something positive out of the lips of Naomi. It doesn't say it in here, but you can feel the hope of like, yes, thank you God for that glimpse. Because Ruth and Naomi realize it. I think Naomi does by the end of this chapter. She's like, what? What? I had no idea. I was just trying to do what I was supposed to do. And look what God did. By the end of this chapter, they both realize that Boaz is God's answer for them. By the end of this chapter, I hope we start realizing here in this place that Jesus is God's answer for us. You know, God's ultimate desire for your life is to not make you comfortable. It's not to give you everything you want. It's to bring you to a place where you meet Jesus Christ. Because if you have Jesus Christ, you have far more than a cupboard full of cupboards, full of food and, and, and a job to go to. If you have Jesus Christ, you have everything your soul really longs for. And there's something deeper to this life than the material things of this world and your own human comfort. It's a, a life in the soul that leads into an eternity in heaven with God. Jesus is orchestrating every detail in our lives that we would not miss the kindness of our God who will not forsake the living or the dead, as it says in verse 20. This whole idea wraps up again with Hesed, the covenant-keeping grace of God. 250 times, this is in the Old Testament, the covenant-keeping grace of God. Jesus is the covenant-keeping grace of God in your life. Without Jesus, you have none of the covenant graces of God. With Jesus, you have them all. And God just simply wants to remind you of that this morning. I'm pretty convinced there's a lot of people here that are satisfied with just having what you have in this life and not content with being redeemed in Jesus. God doesn't want you to miss this. There's no contentment in that. The, the joy and the hope we have is that we have a true redeemer called Jesus Christ. 
Some of you have already met Jesus face to face. This is not a new thing for you. You're like, yes, I know that Jesus is my redeemer. I've met him face to face. He's beautiful and he's all that I want and all that I need. But I know that God wants some of you to be reacquainted this morning with your redeemer, Jesus. You've forgotten that he is good. He has good plans for your life in the midst of the hard. And that his ultimate desire for you is simply to look into his face and find everything your soul longs for in one place in Jesus Christ. Be encouraged to that you have hope no matter what in Jesus if he is your Lord and Savior. There's others of you here today, though, that are on the other side of that equation. I'm convinced of it. And up to this point, you maybe know that Jesus has existed, but you're just not convinced that you want to go there. And you think life's better off in your own way, in your own plans, yet God is, is even putting a squeeze on in your life in different ways. He's bringing you to this place today simply to show you this, that there is one redeemer for your life, and that is Jesus. And you have reason to hope today, no matter how difficult your circumstances are, you have reason to hope today because you have a God who loves you and cares about you more deeply than you know. And when you see Jesus, when you see Jesus, for who he really is, your life will actually be complete whether anything circumstantially changes or not. Jesus is the greater Boaz. You don't need anything else today. You don't need some superficial encouragement of that God's gonna do this great thing and he's gonna give you the boat you want and the car you want and everything else and you're gonna go home today and and all the residuals of your past mistakes are gonna be wiped clean. That's probably not true. It's not a superficial. When you go home today, the the name Hard Road is flipped over. It's now Easy Street. That's not the reality today. The reality is God brings you to a greater place of recognizing a savior named Jesus. And if you have Jesus, no matter how hard it gets, no matter how much residual from your sin that you will carry on maybe for a few months or years or decades even, no matter how hard, Jesus can make it all brand new again. And Jesus is your only hope, your complete satisfaction. You have a greater hope irregardless of where you sit today. You have a God who is arranging every detail of your life so that you get a greater glimpse of Jesus. And he does it in our lives over and over and over again to remind us where our hope truly comes from. You have a God who promises to give you everything you need for today and even more than that, and you have a God who goes above and beyond in giving you favor, even when you don't deserve it in the worst of times. Isn't our God awesome? Isn't our God awesome? May you see Boaz in Ruth chapter two, and may you look beyond Boaz to see Jesus. If you miss Jesus, you don't just miss this chapter. You miss all of life. Let me pray. God, I thank you for the truth that comes from your word. I thank you for the grace that it shows us and the loving nature of who you are. God, we don't minimize this morning that life is extremely difficult. We don't minimize this morning that there are people in this room who have been going through circumstances that are far too hard for them to bear. Father, I pray today as we read of the kindness and the goodness of God that you would give them faith, Lord, in this moment. You give them faith to look and not just see a a passage of the Bible in a cool story, but you look to give them faith to see Jesus, not just in the midst of the story, but standing with them face to face right now, beckoning them to come and to trust in you.
and to put their lives in your hands. Father, I pray today you'd help us not just know in our heads theologically, but know in our hearts the goodness and the love and the mercy and the kindness of our God. For you, O God, are our only hope. Thank you for giving us Boaz and Jesus Christ. That we have everything we need in this life, no matter how hard life gets. God, I also want to pray for those on the other side of the equation today. Those are coming here without a care in the world, and life has been grand for them, and and for whatever reason, you've worked out details for this season of life. They're just flying high. God, I pray for them that they would not miss, they would not miss this passage as well. That they would not put their hope in their things or put their hope in their comfort or their status, but instead, oh God, that they put their hope in Jesus, that we put our hope in Jesus. For God, I know in the midst of this good season, there's gonna be a tough season coming. It's the way life is. It's the way life goes. It's the way you ordained it so we don't forget that we need you. And so God, even if times are good today, I pray you'd help those here with the good times to even look beyond and see the loving, beckoning face of Jesus, their redeemer behind all the good And when times get difficult in the future, they would not forget this message. And they would see you as the kind God who loves them and that will not quit on them, that they won't quit God on you when the seasons of life get hard. Help us all, Lord, to see Jesus today. We need Jesus. I need Jesus today. A fresh glimpse of my Redeemer. A fresh shot of hope as I look into the face of my King. A fresh reality that you are God. And you are God with me right now, today, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. For more information, please visit our website, harvestniagara.ca.